And this is what I encourage influencers, entrepreneurs, anyone who's contributing to the culture to prioritize making something that will last. If you have to show up on social media every hour to be significant, then you're not significant. You got to make something that people are checking up on you for, you know, or else you're just, you're going to get lost in the sauce. Welcome to Enoughness. My name is Lisa Wang, national champion and Hall of Fame gymnast turned serial entrepreneur. This is a show that dives into the deeply personal stories of top business leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, and athletes who share the defining inflection points that help them embrace their life's purpose and answer the question, how much is good enough? Nobody understands how Alex Wolf built a cult following of over half a million millennials for her first brand, Boss Babe, in less than a year. Nobody understands why she left it all to become a writer either. Resonate is Wolf's informative and occasionally hilarious look at the intersection of human nature, technology, and how understanding both can help anyone creative build a following of their own. Named as one of the top 100 most creative people in business by Fast Company Magazine, Inc.'s top creative entrepreneurs in marketing and media, and Adweek's top 20 influencers who radiate creativity and get everyone talking, there's no CEO that Alex can't talk to and hasn't advised with her advice on how to speak to millennials. Alex, thanks so much for coming to the show. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So one of the things we talked about um, just right off the bat was about this idea of fame. And I think that specifically because you come from a place of um, social media and really thinking about messaging and psychology. I want to hear about your story and how you even got into social media in the first place. What was driving you? So not this, not that many people know this yet. Um, I think after people read the book, they'll know. But I've literally been on the computer since I was two years old um, because you know, which is not a big deal now, like all the kids are on, you know, computers, but in 1996, seven, like that was, that was a big deal. So I've just always been online. And I think because I was there early, like social media has been a part of my life as early, you know, we're talking about AIM days, we're talking about, you know, MySpace days, obviously. And I feel like I had what I think a lot of American women have, young girls. Maybe it's not only an American thing, but just I wanted recognition. I wanted to feel significant. I, um, you know, I got started around like 2000. I started taking it more seriously like 2013. Just like posting on social media? Posting. Like this was when YouTube was like really starting to emerge in the sense that people were really building these channels. And it wasn't as full of like brand sponsors as it is today but you know there were robust audiences that people were building and this was very attractive to me and I was like what 2019 at the time and like I I knew something was happening but I didn't know it was gonna get to the level it's been now where it's like this is a full-fledged you know a lot of these youtubers even Instagram influencers are their own individual media companies and you know I was young and so I just I wish I would have known that a little bit more, but um, that's how I got started. And I was on the side, like helping entrepreneurs, older entrepreneurs with their social media, you know, setting up Twitter accounts, setting up Facebook and on the side, trying to figure out how to have my own big break. 
and I went to, I did all types of things. Like I would sign up for seminars and events. And one of the seminars I went to in Los Angeles um, was about how to be a host on television. Because I was like, how do I get on television? This was still when it was like, television is the place, you know. And this is when you were, you said 20, 20 so years old. And you were like, I want to be a, a famous host. I want to be a somebody. Yeah. Yes, yes. And um, so, yeah, the the woman there was just like, TV is dead. This is a woman who's been working in television for like decades and she's like, everything's online. Everything's online. And I'm over here like, you know, I I was online all this whole time. So I'm like, really? Like everything's online? She's like, tweet all the time, you know, post things all the time. And so I was like, okay, I can do this. And um, then like the idea for Boss Babe came into my head where a lot of the women there who were at this event with me, I noticed had the same sort of eager ambition. And I also saw this like, I don't know, I just saw that the, the future wave of like businesswomen were going to be a little bit more, um, they're going to feel more confident about how they express themselves visually. So they weren't going to have to sacrifice so much of their aesthetics to be taken t- seriously. And I was like, I just envisioned this more like feminine sort of like, um, unapologetic businesswoman and that's where the idea of Boss Babe came to be and I started posting quotes and it went viral just you know, on Instagram just on Instagram yeah and that was the point where was Instagram already the place to be an influencer at that point influencer wasn't really a thing like it is now mm-hmm. and like I remember like there were hardly any brands on Instagram what year know? was this 2014 mm-hmm. so like you know not to say that it was empty. There were definitely, like, you know, millions and millions of people on there. But it wasn't, like, a staple of the culture as it is right now. It was still sort of, like, you know, quote uh, accounts with, like, only quotes that was still, like, new, you know? Mm-hmm. Those kinds of things were still um, just starting to be seen because it was more used for, like, hey, I just ate this burger, you know, like, right now. Whereas, like, today, it's like, I took a photo shoot, and I'm going to, like, leak out one by one over the next few weeks these perfectly curated photos of me. So it's a completely different relationship we have with it now. Mm. I know a lot of people right now, I mean, entrepreneurs, people who are trying to create personal brands for themselves, for their companies, are at this point where they're all trying to figure out, how do I hack my social following? How do I get more people? Um, Sometimes I think it's funny because people are trying to grow their audiences and they don't even know why they're doing it. They just feel like they should. Right. Um, So how did you look at that when you initially started Boss Babe? And how are you looking at that now for your personal brand? Well, I have a lot to say for that. I think the the sort of underlying pressure of people feeling like they need to gain the social capital is because under the seams, it is starting to have like value, like social capital, capital is really starting to have this um, hard to measure value because it's not necessarily money, right? Mm-hmm. But it's also not, you know, it, it means something because people are people investigate you through your social media. Um, as far as like how to hack my my like biggest lesson in working with brands and also just building boss babe i really tried to hone in and focus on the patterns of human nature itself so really taking this tech aspect out really taking this algorithm aspect out because i think that's where a lot of people get caught up and they think oh no like instagram changed their algorithm i must you know now post at 501 and that's one way to go about it and i don't think it's i don't think it's completely ineffective but i think that that's, you know, it's kind of like a, a hamster on a wheel where 
as my approach and what this book is about is really focusing again on the fundamentals of how do humans spread inf- information? What's always going to work no matter what on, on any platform? And so I say like the, the ancient algorithm is your mouth is just feeling the need to share with another human. We're going to find a way to contact each other, mm-hmm. whether it be on Instagram or Facebook or without it. Um, and that's how it's always been. So resonate is really about how to literally create a physiological experience so that people feel compelled Im- impulsively to share with mm-hmm. other people. And if you go that route, you're way more likely to build an audience. And resonate is your book that you'll be releasing very soon, which is really exciting. Um, and one of the things that I was struck by initially when I heard you talk was the way in which you did couch everything in um, psychology, um, historical references, and so it runs uh, much deeper than just some of these things that we're saying. Like on the surface level, how do you just get X followers, X number right. of followers, or how do you grow your influence? Um, how do you think about human psychology um, as it relates to, um, I guess, right now, growing your following and and what that signals for power? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, we have to start using the proper units of measurement. Mm -hmm. And I think that follower counts and like counts are not the proper units of measurement. Mm -hmm. It's what brands associate with the proper units. And I think it's what many of us, you know, associate with the proper units. But they're poor illustrations of what influence really looks like. And I go into this in the book where engagement is not a sedated, you know, double tap on a screen, it's going to be something that is more profound and strong than that. Like to me, engagement is when you're saving things in your own personal archive or when you're sharing something or when, you know, someone gets a haircut and you get that same haircut. Those are, um, you know, more clear and vivid examples of what engagement really is. And I think a lot of brands are unfortunately at a detriment in continuing to believe that the numbers properly reflect the emotional connection. Um, and I think a lot of that is just with the terminology and the, the visual that you get when you, when you see the likes and you see um, the followers. But again, I think they're inappropriate um, units of measurement. Um, so, so you briefly touched upon this emotional connection, which is really what I think uh, resonate your book is all about. So I know that you have four values um, that drive this. Could you quickly tell us about those? Yeah. So the four um, elements of resonating in a message, I think, really comes down to honesty, vulnerability, accuracy, and passion. And they sound so cliche, and that's because they are. And I really stress that this is not about, I didn't invent anything. You know, I really just sort of extracted the patterns that I've noticed create clumps of people and what people have an emotional attachment to. And the danger of social media right now is that since we're playing such a perception game, you know, part of the reason why television isn't working and television ads and sort of like these old school ads that millennials have such a hard time, you know, resonating with is because they they portray this um, idealized lifestyle. And we all are like, life doesn't look like that. I want to see women who look like this. I want to see people who talk like this. And so, but what's happening on social media is people are kind of doing that same thing where they're making life look like 
something it's not. Because we think, oh, if I can portray this like put togetherness, um, that will work. And I think it's just, I think it's done with good intentions, but I think it's not as thoughtful um, mm-hmm. as it needs to be to really like build that like cult sort of like raving fan audience. And when, when you get honesty, when you get vulnerability, when you get accuracy and passion, you're dealing with these really raw, organic human emotions that we literally have physiological responses to. I mean, you can, there's, there's lie detectors that will detect whether you're being honest or not. And I think that when you're around someone else who is being honest about their story or is pointing out a, a truth in our society that a lot of people are afraid to point to, um, it gets people to pay attention. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I tell people all the time, I'm like, you want followers, tell the truth. Yeah. Um, because, you know, and it's not like you can't get a bunch of followers by lying, but it's people are attracted to what's not out there. And I think a lot of us are giving illusions and honesty sticks out in that regard. And as far as vulnerability, that's connected to honesty in the sense that it is it is the emotional territory you put yourself in for being honest. And that's the main reason why we don't, we, we fear honesty is not because of the honesty itself. It's because now we know, well, if someone wants to attack me because they mm-hmm. know the truth or they know what I believe in, then they have, you know, full range over my, my face. You know, yeah. they can, they can totally rip me apart. But, you know, I read this amazing, um, essay by Anne Lamott this morning where uh, she's a writer, one of my favorite writers, where she talks about, you know, that's that's the the price you pay for living a creative, fulfilling life is like, yeah, sure, it might not be perfect or people might disagree with it. But the the, the gain you get is you're you're living how you want to live and you're living doing what your, you want to do. Your best life. Yeah. And people love that. Yeah. People are attracted to that. Yeah. I think this this I've realized over time that one of my superpowers is helping people find strength and vulnerability. And it took me a while to get there because I, like anybody else, have had trauma in my life where um, specifically in um, female relationships um, with female friendships where being vulnerable, when you put that space out there, either someone can step into it and say, hey, I'm going to be vulnerable with you too, and now here's our safe space, or they're going to take advantage of that. Right. And in, especially in positions of scarcity, where it feels like if this woman gets it and the other woman can't get it, that's when vulnerability can be taken advantage of and abused. Right, absolutely. And and I say this in the book. I'm like, this is scary territory. Like, trauma happens on the plane of vulnerability because your, th- your emotional skin is so thin that if something happens, it scars there. And and I think a lot of people, that's what we're afraid of because you can get, you can mess yourself up. But, you know, these are the parts, these are like the adult questions we have to ask ourselves. Like, which life do I want to live? Do I want to live the life where I'm risking really feeling alive or do I want to hide that and be safe until I die. Were there times when, especially as you were growing Boss Babe and this was going viral, where you started to feel that disconnect between being your authentic self um, and the face that you had to put out there? Yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest issue for me is that I started it at a point where I was really young um, and I just... 
I was growing as I was running it. So I saw like, oh, wow, I'm not really the same person I was when I started it. And that was part of why I felt like I should put it in better hands because I was like, I'm not as passionate about it. I want other people who have the, the gusto and the heart to, you know, contribute to it to do that. And in that process, yeah, I definitely have been doing a lot of soul searching and um, it's been interesting because it's been all like sort of like documented. Like I've mm. been sharing my life on social media, like I said, forever. And um, it's made me very vulnerable. <laughs> <laughs> and do you embrace that now? Yeah, I, I again, like I think it's worth it because I get to live a creative life. And even though everything hasn't been perfect, it's like that's awesome that I get to like wake up and write poetry when I feel like it and and write to my my readers when I feel like it so I wouldn't trade that for anything and for those who aren't as familiar with Boss Babe can you tell us briefly about so it started with Instagram and then what did it grow into well yeah so the brand it, it grew into a brand that sort of harvested this really intense demand where people wanted to be a part of this community. People were asking, how do I become a boss babe? And so, you know, I did the best that I could trying to arrange um, supply for this demand. You know, we created an online network where people can have access to speak with each other. Um, we have like merchandise and, and, you know, hats and shirts, and things to help people represent themselves the way they wanted to be represented. Um yeah, and it took off. And then you had an academy as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the, the network I'm talking about. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Um, and so you then took um, your journey on Boss Babe, and then you made a very clear decision to go into being a writer, um, which is probably something that I don't know if anybody expected. Um, so how did you manage that transition? What were you feeling? I was honestly very scared. Um, because, you know, with business, the demand is a little bit more easier to etch out because you're giving sort of more like informative advice and things like that. And with writing, you're, you're selling art, which is a completely different type of, um, economy. And to sell art, you know, you have to, you have to resonate with people and, and you have to, um, yeah, it's just a definitely, it's a different plane of, of demand. And so I was nervous, I was scared, but I also felt like I'd rather do this because I feel like, I believe in having like a pre-dream and a real dream. Oh, I like that. <laughs> and I think a lot of people, especially in their early 20s, go after that pre-dream. Like, mm-hmm. if I can just get a job here, or if like I can just get this amount of money, and then you get it, and then you're kind of like, but I actually want to be an actress, you know, <laughs> like something crazy <laughs> yeah. like that. And like, you're like, oh, God, like now I have to go tell everyone I want to be an actress. <laughs> and But, you know, I feel like it's worth it. It's worth it because it's like I'm really big into remembering you're going to die. And like, why, why not live the real dream? Why not at least go after it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and really try to fulfill it? You know, what, what's the point of not doing it? Yeah. You know? So that's where I'm at. And for me, being a writer, being an artist is that real dream. Mm. And and growing Boss Babe really taught me that because the bigger the team got and the more the demands um, came piling in, I was like, I don't want to do this. I was like, I don't want a CEO. Like, I don't want to be a CEO. Um, 
And that was it was so hard to take in because, again, everyone knows me. I'm the boss babe, you know? So it's like going to friends and family and being sort of like, I'm actually, you know, sort of like, I'm I'm really good at branding. Like, that's my thing. And if you think about it, branding is the most artistic part of any business. It's really about curating um, these feelings for people. Mm -hmm. And that's what the the bulk of Boss Babe and I think the bulk of any thriving like company, modern company, any modern startup, product's important. Like these things are important, but at the end of the day, like brand has so much power. Brand is what can change your whole company so that, you know, look at Facebook right now. Yeah. And especially the past few weeks. Like Facebook's you know, on top um economically, but their brand is suffering. And now they have to, you know, do all these things to try to like keep it together Mm -hmm. so it's very interesting and I think a lot of for a lot of modern day entrepreneurs getting the message out that you cannot underestimate the importance of your brand it doesn't matter how much money you have behind your startup or you know even like with uber like it doesn't matter how it's really about how people perceive the brand that people are gonna judge and and determine yeah and that that's super important and I mean, again, it's like with branding and emotion and then this other point that you touched upon um, with art. Um, One of the things that I really enjoyed hearing you talk about was the difference between art and entertainment. Um, Could you tell us about your thoughts on that? Yes. So, okay, (laughs) we live in a economically developed society. So like we're we have water we have clothes, like, for the most part, right? And so it's gotten to a point now, especially with the internet, where the main commodity in our culture is attention. Mm-hmm. The main thing is how do I get people to look at something for X amount of minutes, hours, whatever. And so what we're dealing with is uh, a culture where all the brands, from the big media companies to the micro-influencers, from the president to the Kardashians, they are all in the same market of trying to sell attention. And because of that, we are now, we, we have all this pressure to just get people to look. How can I get people to look? And what comes out of that is entertainment. Now, I think entertainment is great. I love watching The Office, you know, just as much as everyone else. But... It's distracting us from being able to, like, live because Mm -hmm. now we're so addicted because attention is the number one commodity. Social media understands this. TV models understand this. And that's what they're selling. So because and now that we're attached to our computers, um, we just we just give our attention away for free because they've 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 develop them to be um, addictive. Yeah, and the best, I, I heard someone was saying, like, the best, um, I guess, influencers or whatever, the people we pay attention to is just, like, they realize one thing, like, whether you succeed or you fail or you win or you lose, like, it's all attention and it's all the same thing. And they're able to exploit that if they understand right. it. And I, and this concerns me greatly only because I don't, There's a lot of negative consequences to attention being for sale like this. One is that, um, you know, we're, we're, I think, becoming more disconnected as a society. Like, we all know, like, everyone's addicted to their phones. Like, I talk about in the book how, like, there are more car crashes increasing by the year because people are checking their phones when they drive. That is not a rational behavior. That is an addictive type behavior so this is not you know before it was like oh millennials you know they're just so addicted to those phones and it kind of had this like cutesiness to it and I'm like no like this is a big deal 
Like we're literally dealing with a world that we have to fight. We're all in this like fight together where we're like charging our phones in the other room. And, you know, I'm sure you have like everyone has their own like little ritual of like, get me the hell away from this. (laughs) And, um, the sucky part is that for influencers, they go in and they say, okay, how can I get this attention? What do I need to do? I'm going to contour my face. I'm going to post this bikini photo. I'm going to, I'm going to run for president. You know, it's really the same psyche that goes in and asks that question. Now, I don't think it's an evil question to ask, but I think that the way you really, um, make it work in a way you can do it in a way that still has integrity and enriches people versus makes them feel worse because that's the other thing is that social media is making us feel worse than we were to begin with because it's this constant comparison Mm -hmm. game um and with art you have that difference with art you can be dead and people will search for the art you know you don't need tabloids art doesn't need a constant um art art doesn't need constant exposure to be relevant it 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 acts on a different like current of attention where people will seek it out themselves and i'm really into that and i'm like okay how do we get why is it that we seek art out well i think it's because we're programmed to be connected and social and art makes us feel connected like i talk about in the book how with someone like maya angelou i can read her book and i'm like wow like, I have a friend. Like, she gave me her life in a way that I feel like I can relate to her. And, it, you know, it's tricky because someone like Kim Kardashian, she resonates as well. She offers involuntary physiological experiences, <laughs> for sure. But the difference is her current of attention makes people think, I wish. I mm. wish I was like that. I wish I had that. I wish my life was like this. Whereas someone like Angelou, it's I am or I know that, or I, I, I am that, I feel that. And that makes people feel more connected. And the other main difference with art and, and entertainment is that entertainment distracts you. you. You put on The Office or Game of Thrones or whatever to escape. And that's what we're doing. Every time we go into the phone or whatever, we're trying to escape. Think about that for a few seconds. You'll, you'll, that can't be that good, right? Yeah. And with art... You, you gotta you have to take a break with art you can't just consume it because it's so dense and it's so energetically um yeah it's so ener- energetically dense that you only need it in small doses and i think mm-hmm. that's really powerful and you walk away and you still feel like you're not going to forget that person just because they're not posting selfies on instagram yeah yeah and it's it's funny because this notion of escape um especially in a world where we're emphasizing meditation and being present and yoga and um and it's like this constant push and pull and i think you know ultimately where this escape is coming from is just a like this low-grade dissatisfaction with what you're doing with your life and it's probably goes back to that not being able to live your dream to really open yourself up to the possibility of living your best life right um so when you think about um, escape, uh, why do you think people get stuck there in, in this place of not being able to actually go out and, and live the life they want? I think, I think it's a few things. I think, again, it's because we're dealing with a social infrastructure. Like, I, you know how people used to say there's, there's an app for that. Now there's like a social infrastructure for that. And like we're living in a world where we are discarding physical reality for virtual reality. Like now 
depending on what circle you're in, the virtual reality is the primary reality. It's where mm-hmm. most of the stuff is happening. And then the physical reality is sort of like, we're here, but like it's all about what gets put on that virtual screen. Yeah. And this is something I've seen like for the past like few years. I've seen how much this has developed. And it creeps me out because yeah. I see it as... You know, I don't think VR is going to be a headset. I think we are in VR. Yeah. This is just like, you know, you look at the, the first Apple computer, the first Macintosh, you're like, oh, that's a really bulky, ugly computer and it doesn't really do anything. Yeah. That's where our virtual reality yeah. is right now. I saw this really funny uh, post on Instagram, actually, where um, it was referring back to remember like AOL Instant Messenger when we had the away messages. Right. And it was like, we don't have away messages anymore. We just live here. There is no BRB. <laughs> Millennials are, are 90% of us. I think IBM has this like amazing statistic where we are 100% of the time arms length to our phones. Yeah. Like even if we're not on it, like and and it happens to me all the time where I'm like I'm like why why am I taking my phone with me? Do I need it right now? But it like it like soothes me. Yeah. <laughs> in this like sick way because yeah. I'm like if something ha- you know it, it's not even conscious I'm not even like oh well yeah. so an emergency might happen I'm not gonna lie and say that's even what's yeah. happening it's just it's a part of my like body yeah, yeah. so bad <laughs> yeah <laughs> um I think what's interesting for me is that especially that you started your like career on social media um that like and and I I know that you dropped out of college and like, what was your parents' reaction oh, to, <laughs> um, you know, one leaving college and two, um, starting your career path on social? I was just thinking about how the other day I, when I like during this really like turbulent time where I dropped out and I just I felt like oh my god I'm gonna be a loser like what am I doing. I had spoke to someone and I told them like, yeah, I think I'm going to start like something on social media. And the person said, really? Like, you really like they were like giving me the ultimate, like the worst nightmare for an entrepreneur. Like, seriously, like it wasn't even (laughs) like a kind. It was just like, you're freaking stupid. Right. And I just think back to that moment and I'm like, wow, like that if I had listened to that and I kind of did like it really messed with me but I was like you know I'm gonna do it anyway but that's just a word for people who are in that stage now where someone can give you the dirtiest snobbiest remark on where you're going but the way innovation works and the way trends work and the way the internet works is that if you can see what's coming you just go because there is no way people around you especially people who are not in that world are going to see what you see so, yeah, but my parents were pissed. Um, you know, they're both college educated. My mom was kind of cool about it. My dad was just, he was just mortified. He just was um, very afraid of, of what was going to happen. And, it, and it, it scared me. It definitely scared me. What prompted you to leave college? I just, it didn't make any sense to me. I was, first of all, I was paying for it, which was a big aspect to it because I was like working two jobs, trying to pay off college. And like, it just wasn't adding up financially because I was still going to have to be in debt. I was like, my whole life was, was school and work. Like there was no no room to breathe. And I was like, okay, this is not for me. I'm also just like, it's really hard. I'm, I'm, I have a really hard time with like institutions in general. Like I hardly went to high school. Like I, I didn't like school. I love learning. Yeah. But I just really didn't like going to school. So, um, yeah, I 
I just said this this doesn't make sense. I, I even Googled is college a scam? And like <laughs> I saw this really great article that was like, yes, it is. And I was like, that's all I needed to know. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, I, and I, I don't think that's for, true for everyone. Um, I think it uh, definitely depends on your personality type, what you want to do. For me, it was I could just feel it was just also just an intuition thing. I was like, there's no way I'm going to be here for four years. Yeah, I'm gone. Yeah. And I think that, um, I mean, I come from a space where I, I analyze a lot about why women are the way that they are. Like, why do some women choose to be entrepreneurs? Why are some women successful at fundraising? Um, for me, you know, I came from a, um, I mean, I, I was in public school. I went to an Ivy League, um, a liberal arts college. But a lot of times I would wonder, like, well, what am I really learning? Um, how is this applicable to my job? And especially as someone who ended up concentrating in literature, it's like, wasn't really sure how it was applicable. But I think at the end of the day, um, you know, a couple things emerged was like women generally, it's like in school, we've been um, rewarded for following structure right. and for getting the right grades and the milestones and you're the teacher's pet and you're the like the best girl in the room but then that doesn't serve you in the business world where it's about a lot of times breaking rules and building and innovating and just like absolutely. having having that contrarian it's, view it's it's absolutely the opposite you're making yeah. all the rules when yeah. you're the entrepreneur when you're the boss yeah and i think where i've learned the most is is honestly from literature mm. is from um analyzing characters mm. and reading about why they i mean i i don't even like the word failure because i don't really believe in it but like you know why they went through hardships how they navigated it how they came back up and um and there weren't too many like female heroes that I was reading about um, but I think that what struck me initially when I heard you talk was um, how well spoken you were and Thanks. the way that you spoke about some of the books that you were reading mm-hmm. um, and specifically this is the, there was the one about uh, Tolstoy's mm-hmm. What is Art mm-hmm. um, are there any other books that have really informed your mantra or your perspective in the world so many, so many. I think right now I'm on I'm on a big Neil Postman kick. He's an academic that, you know, had a lot to say in like mid 80s, early 90s, and he basically just like, ugh, it's like it's like intellectual like porn for me. Like <laughs> it's so good. And basically he he talked a lot about um uh, this concept of entertainment and in- entertainment being the only commodity in our modern like American culture and it's really shaped and changed my whole perception on our relationship with social media and things like that it, it is dark like it's it's very you know it's not this like optimistic view of where we're going it's very realistic and you know deep but um yeah, I would say I would say writers like him. I'm inspired by Baldwin. I'm inspired by Tolstoy. Um, I'm inspired. I, I like a, a different. I like a nice range of things. Right now, I'm reading Marina Keegan, which I don't know if you've heard of her. She's actually she she passed away. She's a young writer. Was a young writer who. Um, amazing writer and she got in a car crash and mm-hmm. died and she's like she's like our age she's a millennial and it's so intense really. yeah she, it's so intense she was my year oh okay yeah. yeah it's so intense to read um 
a young person's like point of view, not no with her not even knowing that her life was going to end. Yeah. It's this very like soul like very fulfilling kind of creepy at the same time. I love it. Yeah. I'm like reading it right now. It's it's almost like without knowing it that there was an impending death. Right? And yeah. like so many of her stories are about death too, which is very interesting. Yeah. I I watched uh, a documentary about JFK recently and um I mean maybe it was the narrator like putting his opinion over right. it, but he was like, you know, JFK was always um, quite unhealthy and it was almost like he moved in a way where he knew that he was going to die early right um, what is your we touched upon this earlier where you're saying like you're not afraid of talking about death and in fact it drives you um, have you ever been afraid of, of death? death oh yeah absolutely <laughs> I think I, I mean I still I, you know I still get afraid I have moments where I'm like I get sort of this thrill out of it where I'm like, wow, I'm going to die, so I should live my life to the fullest. But then I get these moments where I'm like, I'm going to die. Like, we're all going (laughs) to die. Like, that's crazy to me. Like, that to me is freaking nuts. Like, not in a bad way, not in a good way, just in an intellectually arousing way, like Mm. in a existential way, in a what are we doing here kind of way. Yeah. Um, And, but, you know, like, I had a few deaths happen in my life in the past two years and I think absolutely those were driving forces in me being like I'm just gonna do what I want because apparently like you can just die like anytime it's not even like I'm gonna you know it can happen anytime and so I I don't say that because I I live in fear of it happening but really just because it's like I don't know you know I don't I don't know what else I to do besides something that feels yeah decent good (laughs) yeah I I had a memory um I mean, it's it's weird that this even stands out. Like, I think I was six or seven. Um, and I remember trying to go to sleep, and then I ran over to my parents' room because I started sweating and, like, thinking about death. Right. <laughs> and I said, so, Mom and Dad, I don't want to die. And they're like, okay, go to bed. You're seven. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, but... And I think where it came from for me was this feeling of, like, Because for, I think, people like us, where we're in our heads a lot, like we're really analyzing and we're intellectualizing, it's like, wow, if I don't have the ability to think, who am I to form these opinions of the world? Like, like what what is there? Right. Absolutely. I I have those, I call like an existential panic attack, like once a day where I'm like, what the hell is even going on? Like, how am I here? What happened? What are we doing? What's this about? What's that about? And again, it's not in a, it's really in this very like embracing neutral perspective. It's not about judging it. It's really just by being like fascinated that I get to like wake up and like be like, wow, I'm here. I don't really know what's going on, man. But like, it's cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And because it's like there's these stories too of people who get cancer and then they're like, Six months to live, got to live my best life. Right. And then they let everything go, and then suddenly it goes away. The cancer is, like, gone. Right. yeah. Um, and so it's like... But what, the enlightenment usually stays. Yeah. Yeah. So what can we do, or what can people do to, I guess, assimilate that without having to actually go through something, like, just traumatizing, life-altering? I think, for me, my, my biggest inspirations are a combination of consuming art... Like, really consuming art, the good stuff. I'm not talking about... I'm talking about stuff that will resonate with your body, where you are literally 
having a feeling connect like a connection with the artwork you're looking at whether it be you know visual art or performance art or music you know um and then also just like really enjoying our physical reality really saying like virtual realities and everything and i know for me i live i have a bias i'm intensely in the virtual world so it's like i've had to really be like okay like i'm gonna go out like i'm gonna not like use my phone this entire time and um and then again and then i guess the last part would just be remembering this ends it just it does it's an inevitability it's not even like you can't hack this yeah (laughs) like there's just no choice so yeah you gotta just what do you think is your your greater why i i i'm still like figuring out a confident way to answer that question because i think it's such a big question and i don't necessarily know how important it is sometimes because i feel like we can get i know for me i get caught up in the purpose thing where i'm like mm. i wish it was really clear like i wish i was just like you know it was right there in the sky written for me but it's not for me it's very and I'm, i know for a lot of people it's not where it's like you kind of just wish the universe would be like you are a professional <laughs> golfer and that's all you have to worry about for the rest of your life for me it's like you're writer you're painter you're this or you're that or and i'm like can you just like tell me what i am <laughs> um i know for me it's it's within the realm of art it's in the realm of creativity and i think my bigger why is i think i, I really love just making people like aware but not in a preachy righteous way like i can't stand that yeah i mean more in a way of just like i like just pointing things out that's it i really don't have an agenda to make people change or to make people believe things i really just like being like hey like isn't it cool that we're like in 2018 and like what just happened you know with the world with the internet that's a big thing for me like i'm very um i have this specific sort of weird obsession with talking about how much the internet has changed because i don't think it's like you know when you when you have a friend who loses weight but you see them every day so you can't tell and then you see a picture and you're like whoa you really did lose weight that's how our relationship with technology is we're with it every day so we haven't seen how much it's lost weight you know in its own way and i really like showing people the picture and being like dude look how different Mm. our lives are because of how quickly technology has changed. And what does that mean? We're going, where are we going? Mm-hmm. You know, I just like people to like be aware of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, was, I watched this Ted talk about the threshold generation, which is basically what we are. We're the, the last generation where we remember what life is like without technology in our face all the times. And, and we're in this generation now where the next generation does not have that experience right we're the like we're the the torch holders between the two realities yeah yeah Yeah. um so i think especially this whole idea of awareness is is really important to bring it back to humanity and how that's affecting our lives um how do you stay abreast of technological changes and and what sort of like thought process are you doing in the background after you uh, read it um I'm really big on UX UI, like, in a, in the sense that I love 
figuring out how humans interact with the technology, whether it be software, whether it be hardware, whether it be like not electronics, because I'm also like big on like, you know, technology is not just electronics. It's it's any tool really that conveniences our lives. So for me, I really try to think about, okay, as a person, as an artist, as someone who's trying to communicate, especially as a writer, right? Because now that we have this visual feast where we're constantly stimulated visually, the last thing a lot of people um, can stomach to look at are blank words on or words on a on a page just sitting there. And it's not because people don't want to read. I know everyone wants to read. Everyone's kind of like, mm, I wish I was reading more, <laughs> right? But our eyes, because we're human beings and because we're visual creatures, they've just been trained out of finding stimulation in that because also with mm. reading you have to apply effort. Yep. It's not with visuals or, or music where you, it just instantly happens. So I'm like, I have a big problem here because I am not going to, I, I really want to figure out how to make people read um, what I have to say because that's my medium. I, I write. And that's that's sort of the, those are the main questions I'm asking myself when I'm watching people interact with technology, even with building my brand and building the website and like and marketing. You know, there's there's so much science on like, you know, if you put a button one inch higher, one inch lower, it can like affect your sales by like 30 percent. You know, it's that we are that um, vulnerable to the positioning of things and the way mm-hmm. things are designed and. Be- and, and just with technology and I think with Instagram like we're confusing Instagram with reality and also just with life like we think if I go on this person's page and I see what then I then I have a good idea of what their life is like but it's such a again it's a poor unit of measurement there's just no way you mm-hmm. can you can you can even be a hundred percent honest through the medium of Instagram and it still will not capture yeah. the complexity of life and that's that's another thing that concerns me when I see the relationship on technology, because we hear about these like young, beautiful girls killing themselves and all this stuff. <laughs> and it's like, you know, well, her Instagram, her Instagram. Oh. Wait, are you telling me? On yeah. Are you telling me because she smiled in her Instagram picture? No one thought it could happen. And, and, and that's, you know, obviously that's a dramatic case, but that's happening on microscopic levels all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, so those yeah. are things I think about. Awesome. And as you prepare for the release of your book, um, do you feel pressure to like get it on the top sellers list? Like, um, it's yeah. It's like my my friend is like one of my like best selling author friends is like all right. So how many sales? Do you want <laughs> He's like we're gonna do it. We're gonna hit the sales goal. And I was like honestly, I hadn't even thought about it. Not because, obviously, I want the book to sell whatever, but, like, I just, I don't have, like, I don't have a, I don't care about that that much. I just am really proud that I wrote a book. Like, yeah, this is a dream. Huge. I'm like, yay, I'm done. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, there is, though, like, outside of, like, even with your friend, right, um, this massive emphasis on, like, if you write a book and it doesn't get into the top sellers list, then it's a failure. Or it's how? like, why? Like, how do we get out of that mindset? For me, it's easy. Again, I think for me, I'm biased because I saw a virtual brand grow. Yeah. And I saw the difference between what likes mean, what followers mean, and what real engagement is. So for me, I I just don't, the enticement, everything, I think in brands. Yeah, and the enticement of a bestseller list is a brand. You get to go like this. I'm a bestseller. 
that's what that's what people want they want that that brand on them which is fine i want certain brands on me like that's just not one of them that's not one that implies significance or to me does not again reflect the relationship i have with my readers mm-hmm. and bestseller doesn't mean best book that's for freaking sure yeah. look at that bestseller list i'm like <laughs> i mean no offense but i'm just kind of like okay yeah and you know one percent of books uh, that are purchased are read it's only one yeah. percent and I don't think even all the way. Yeah. So you can sell it. I don't care about people buying it as much as I care about people reading it. Yeah. Like, it's like, okay, thank you for buying. But also, like, did you finish it? What would you think? Did you yeah. like it? Did it resonate with you? Does it, did it resonate? <laughs> and yeah. and that's part of, like, I, I, I stand behind my, my theories. And I don't think it needs to. If I had those kind of goals, it would kind of um, co- contrast with the whole premise of this book. The whole premise of this book is if something's good, you're going to market it for me because y- you like it that much, mm-hmm. you know? And that's where, I mean, these classics really come in, right? It's like we're at a place where, you know, we started this entire episode off with attention and how fleeting that is today. And, um, you know, even with so many of these bestseller books, it's like, there's just this overload of information, but a total lack of wisdom. And it's in these like classic books that are told over, read over and over again, passed on, that is really where we find the wisdom. Because anyway, a lot of these bestseller books are just like poaching from forgotten the old. About. Yeah, yeah, forgotten about. And, and that's, again, this is what I encourage influencers, entrepreneurs, anyone who's contributing to the culture to prioritize making something that will last. If you have to show up on social media every hour to be significant, then you're not significant. You Mm got to make something that people are checking up on you for, you know, or else you're just you're going to get lost in the sauce. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great note to end on. Um, Yeah, this idea of like you are influencing culture, like you are changing the course of humanity if if you can with like in your own little way right and you can do it in a way that's not just selfies yeah <laughs> you know i have it's so funny i have this um this bug on my iphone right now where when i take selfies the phone dies it shuts Ooh. down <laughs> so. those are like the cosmic digital ghosts going ha <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um Awesome. So the way that I end every episode is with something called the one thing, which is just um, this belief that all it takes is one voice, one person, one experience to completely change someone's perspective. So I'm going to ask you about some of your one things. Uh, People? Thoughts? Thoughts. Ideas? Yeah. So um, just to start off, um, what's one question you wish people would ask others more often? Um, are you happy? Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of like, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. I want to kill myself. You know, like no one, are, but are you yeah. happy? Like, I know you got, I know you got this job. I know you got this thing, but like, are you happy? Yeah. That's so it. that's like the, the how are you doing question, but people answer with what they are doing. Right. Exactly. Um, what is one thing in the world you would change? I want to say nothing. <laughs> I think I'm going to say nothing because I really against thinking I know what's best mm. for the world. I think that's not that's not my thing. Cool. Yeah. Um, one person who inspires you who is alive today. No one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> They're all dead. Um, Marina Abramovic. She's a performance artist. She's on my wallpaper. Um, she is so badass. She... This is so badass. Google her. 
Cool. She's good. One person who's dead who inspires you. Uh, Biggie. Huh. Why is that? There's so many reasons. One, he was just, he was so creatively talented and he was so young. He was only 24 when he died, when he got shot. I don't think a lot of people realize. I didn't really realize that. I'm like, I'm about to be 26 in a few weeks. And I'm like, he was 24 and he changed the world. And I don't know. There's just so much to say about what he contributed as far as how he put Brooklyn on the map, you know, which is where I'm from. And how just confidence and and creativity will get you so far, you know, mm-hmm. not to underestimate it. Unfortunately, you know, obviously it had an unfortunate ending, but still, you know, it's like he was such a profound gift for the culture. Um, and I love him. One mantra that you um, have in your mind as you go through your day to day. It's inspired by something Anne Lamott wrote in her book, Bird by Bird, which is a good book. Mm. It's uh, if you're nothing without the gold medal, you'll be nothing with it. Mm. So that's a great one. Yeah. Um, and really bridging that outside and inside, almost the whole enoughness thing. Absolutely. Um, And then I want to make this as actionable as possible for our listeners. So I always ask, what is one challenge, even a a micro action that you could leave with the audience that they could do today, whether to um, change their perspective or to go out and do something outside of their comfort zone? Uh, I want to suggest like studying your relationship to something. So either being more conscious of your relationship with social media or your relationship with images, like really paying more attention to what you pay attention to and why you pay attention to it. I think just, again, having this sort of like neutral observational perspective does a lot for people in their own individual ways like people gather on their own like what they feel comfortable with and what they want to continue what they want to stop and I know it helps me so what I pay attention to and why I'm paying attention to it yeah without and trying not to have judgment with it like hmm, I just sent this person six memes and I have stuff to do (laughs) (laughs) cool Um, well thank you so much Alex I'm super excited to um, pick up your book when it's out. Um, Thank you. What's the best way for people to reach you, to read your writing? Where can they find you? So my website is alexwolf.co, and I have an email list where I, like, send updates and stuff. So that's the best way. Cool. Thank Thanks you. so much. There you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did. I created the Enoughness podcast to reveal the real stories behind the leaders we admire, to address this universal question that we all have at some point or another. Am I good enough? So just remember that you're not on this journey alone and that you do have the power of enoughness. If you want the full show notes and transcript from today's episode, go to www.lisawang.co slash podcast. Again, that's lisawang.co slash podcast. And you'll be able to follow along. I'd love if you could leave a review or tag anything that you share on Twitter or Instagram with hashtag enoughness. And you can find me at Lisa Works, L-I-S-A-W-O-R-X on Twitter or Instagram. Catch you in the next